3: Just talking to me. Do you think that you could repeat the question and I listen more attentively? There must have been something in all of that, one minute that wasn't quite so easy to see, and I must have missed something when you were just talking to me. I get you, sir. Mm-hmm.
0: All righty, let's try and get this show on the road, shall we? Thank you, Ben, our fine, fine producer. Hi, how you guys doing? My name is Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. High Top Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. And uh, as we approach our fourth anniversary, Dave, is it fourth or third? I think it's our fourth anniversary, it could be our third I can't. I went to Lawrence High School, my my math is always a little off uh, Sorry, 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 I keep forgetting <laughs> <laughs> two Twice in a row now, right? Um, so I, usually we have these three gentlemen, these three chiefs Along with uh, Chief Ryder or Chief uh, Denaro from Haverhill uh, On the show at the end of the year on our anniversary show to talk about Policing last year we talked about um, the opioid crisis some of the things that were going on But with all of the things going on in the country with black lives matter the movement black lives matter uh, Which you see every day now not as much on cable news But if you uh, go on the internet you can see every day. They're still rioting in Portland Uh, They're still rioting in certain cities all over the country attacking police officers you saw yesterday in New York City uh, a police, uh, I think it was the, the the deputy chief or one of the chiefs in New York City was attacked on a bridge um, It is open season on police officers And those of us who care about law enforcement, those of us who care about our own safety Even if you don't care about law enforcement Are watching in horror as uh, politicians, mostly Democrats, but politicians of all stripes Are attacking police officers, are... Um, Encouraging DAs not to punish people that assault police officers and that are backing this uh, lawless chaos of the Black Lives Matter movement So I thought we should have, uh, why wait till the end of the the year to have these gentlemen on Let's have the police chiefs on and and have them talk about how this is affecting their community How this is going to affect them moving forward with training and the way they stop people, the way they detain people Uh, And So I thought this would, for my regular viewers, my regular listeners on Spreaker and Podbean and all the people that download the audio, I will try to um, say the names of the chiefs as they're speaking. So if you're not watching, you know who's who's talking. Um, So let's just get right into it. I have to my left, to your right of me, I have um, Methuen Police Chief Joe Solomon, one of the least controversial guys you'll ever meet in your life. There's no controversy with this guy whatsoever. Everyone loves him. Steve Sable loves him, the city council loves him, everybody loves this guy, I say tongue-in-cheek. Uh, we have Chief Solomon here, uh, who had to deal with this Black Lives Matter uh, situation at a council meeting recently. To his left or your right, um, we have North Androville Police Chief Chuck Gray, who is the uh, recipient of an Officer Tom Duggan Hero Award. And uh, to his left, to your right... Uh, is Lawrence Police Chief Roy Vasque, who might actually get that award if he comes to a bash. He's gotta come though. Like the thing is you got to be there to get the award. You have to pay me. So we we actually had an award for him two years ago, and then he left early. And I'm like, he says, I'm leaving early. I'm like, you can't leave. So I, I tried to get everybody around him to get him to stay, but they but he had something he absolutely had to be at. Um, so I thought maybe we would start with um, you're watching this as a human being. Forget that you're a cop for a minute. You're watching this on TV, you're watching statues come down, you're watching police stations be burned down, you're watching police officers being ambushed and shot. We had six this week, six police officers ambushed and shot. Um, how do you guys, just again, forget that you're a cop from it, how do you guys, you're all kind of my age or close to my age, um, growing up in an in a, in America that actually revered police, that respected police. How do you guys react to the sudden change in the United States? Among a vast, vast number of people Who just outright hate the cops Whoever wants to go first
3: Well Tom Chief Solomon I'll go first So Joe Solomon So Tom, it's, it it puts some fear in you It puts fear in You worry about your country You worry about um, your brother and sister officers, And you worry about your neighbors And your citizens and your family There's a lot of fear out there As to what is actually occurring Uh Everyone has a right to their opinions. Everyone has a right to get out and say what they believe. I think we just have to get back to doing it more peacefully. There's no reason that you can't protest and protest it peacefully. And for a uh, perfect example, is the protest that we had in our city. We met with the protest. Protester leaders ahead of time. We made phone calls. We put the city government with the mayor, and myself, my staff, and the other city employees together. We talked about parameters about what's acceptable and what isn't, and that you don't detract from your message by having anything um, go crazy. And they said their intent was to be very peaceful. and And I give them this: they you, maybe you don't like. Some of the rhetoric they say about police But they have a right to get out there and talk We were lucky enough that we had a good group That put this together They even had marshals from their own group Who kept the group together And it was very peaceful And what I think really struck me with that Separate from listening to the message was at the end of the rally and everybody marched back they came back to the location at city hall and they cleaned up really and they cleaned up the bottom. I've never
0: seen that from any group
3: oh my god let me tell you, from any group i agree right. with you 100% even if it's just a concert you see the mess that's left Their intent was not to leave the place any worse than what it was. They had water for their people. They had uh, medics for their people, even though we had medics. So I have to give them credit that they did a a great job and that they got their message out and they did it peacefully. And we just hope that what we're seeing isn't a resurgence of what we saw in the 60s and that... Everybody has to listen to the message. Again, I think we all believe we police our community based on what our community wants. So we're listening. Uh, you see changes coming. I can say this for my three decades in law enforcement. Massachusetts, I think, is unlike other law enforcement around the country. I think we have our act together. We train appropriately. We, we handle situations appropriately. We listen to our people. Community policing, which we call community engagement, has really come a long way from, if you remember in the 1995-99 area with Linda Soucy speaking for her group in her neighborhood and you look to how far we've come as engaged, and I know both of these chiefs because I've known them a long time and I see their law enforcement uh, abilities. We lead our police departments the way our residents want to be led. We want to listen to them. I don't have to agree with anyone in what their message is because it's America, but we have a duty to reflect the Feelings of our community. and I think we do a wonderful job and I'm sure both of them uh, Would would say the same things about their communities.
0: You no know, of with Chief Gray as you're watching this um, Just remove yourself as a police officer for a minute. Uh, you're a little younger than the rest of us um, But you I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you still grew up in an environment in America where police were respected uh, For the most part. We always know there's a bad just bad apples. There's bad cops. There's bad doctors there's bad podcast hosts um, I'm one of them, um, but Overall, most police officers, and we knew this growing up, that most police officers were good guys who tried to protect people that went out there and put their lives on the line. As you're watching this, does it scare you for the, for the future of America? For the future of our country that so many people have so much hatred for the guys that are out there putting their lives on the
2: line to protect them? It doesn't scare me, I just it, it, it sends a message to me that we need to have more dialogue and find out what's causing their animosity towards us. Um, we had a rally in our town as well that was the same as chief Solomon said, they met with us, it was peaceful and they cleaned up after themselves and their message was sent and it was, it was exactly what they wanted and it was exactly what we wanted as far as safety. Um, for whatever reason, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to take myself out of being a cop because that's what we all do. When I walk down the street with my kids, people still know who I am. Right. So, uh, you know, it is what it is and I'm going to deal with it as a police officer, as a police chief. Um, the whole thing is that there's there's grievances out there that we know nothing about because we weren't affected by it, um, by the either affected personally, someone we know, or something that we're part of a, like a movement or something. We don't we don't know everything. We don't have all the the uh, the facts. Just like the other side doesn't have all the facts on our end as far as how good of a job we think we really do. So it, it's it's opened up a lot of dialogue between myself and um, the officers and the public, like Chief Solomon said, and. You know, I know Chief Vasco will, will speak to his um, community as well. It's it's all about communication, and we need to we need to open the communication up and and see what is you know open it up the hood and see what's going on, and let's see if we can make this work. Because just like Chief Solomon said, we we police based on what our community expects, and if they expect a certain level of professionalism, we need to provide that. All right. And you did you just you just hired a bunch of guys right? Did you just hire? We just had we just had one officer come out of the academy. He's field training right now, and we're looking to add two more in the uh, fall. And you, you were going to hire people, but they they're cutting your budget, Chief Solomon.
3: Yes, uh, four four of the officers working right now were scheduled to go to the academy this past January. It was pushed off till September, but I still hold out hope that there's a solution to this, and uh, working with the city council and the mayor, we hope not to lose them, but we'll lose 10 positions, eight physical bodies, too, that we won't be able to fill if it goes through.
0: Chief Vasque from uh, from Lawrence, Lawrence Police Chief Vasquez, you ha- had a little bit of a different situation in Lawrence. They had the Black Lives Matter rally, And they said that they were going to be marching up into Methuen. They were going to be marching into Salem, New Hampshire, which didn't happen. Um, How how do you? How do you? I want I want you to answer the same question that they answered. Obviously, like watching all the stuff on TV, how do you feel about that? But uh, additionally, you had your guys were ready. Like you cordoned off a a block or so around the police station. Um, There was almost no violence. There was one guy that got out of line. Um, home, some home, one of the homeless guys that we feed on the Wednesday nights um, threw a bottle at you guys or something. Um, but it must it must have been very disconcerting uh, knowing that you were going to have after three full weeks of violence from Black Lives Matter protests that these guys were going to be coming into Lawrence.
1: Well, I would say that it's not all under the umbrella of the Black Lives Matter, and I think that I don't want to speak for them, but I, I know that I've heard a lot of things said that. You know, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives. Matter. It There's a lot of groups that are taking advantage of the situation, if you will. In that, uh, obviously, they have their movement, they have their voice, they have their opportunity to file their grievances as they should. So, I don't blame them for that. Um, and I, but I do think there are a lot of groups that we could talk about all day long that are taking advantage of that situation and and trying to foster their own agenda, if you will. So, I don't blame. That one individual group, and they, to my knowledge, weren't the ones organizing our event. They were another, another group, uh, just in support of the Black Lives Movement. And I think a lot of that happens in a lot of these different communities. So I certainly can't speak for that for that group, but I can tell you that um, this stuff about uh, you know burning, looting, and marching up to Methuen and Salem and all these other things, we never heard that. Uh, you know, I think that social media type stuff that went on. Um, we certainly did not pass that message on to our residents or to our our communities um, next door to us, Methuen, North Andover, Haverhill, and Andover. Um, so we didn't think any of that was going to happen. We prepared based on the national rhetoric, the national scene, some of those outrageous things that we saw that protests got out of hand. And again, I don't blame the movement itself versus the people behind the scenes that are taking advantage of those situations and and giving the movement a bad name, if you will. Uh, to Joe Solomon's point, Chief Solomon's point, everybody has the ability and the right to file their grievances, have their voice be heard, and we don't have a problem with that. And we were uh, right there in that philosophy in that we told everybody that was uh, willing to hear that we don't, we welcome you coming here and having your opportunity to meet, be together, and uh, unite under this common cause uh, peacefully, and we don't have a problem with that. We can support you in any way, shape, or form that you need, first and foremost, your safety— and the safety of the residents and the business owners. So that was the message that we sent. I thought it was well received. Our protests, there was two of them that went off very well to your point. Just one individual, again, has nothing to do with the movement. That's a perfect example though of someone else jumping into something that they have no business being involved in and that gives the movement itself a bad name. So I don't have a problem with uh, anyone that wants to um, you know, have their grievances heard racism itself is not just a policing matter it's we all know it's a worldwide you know epidemic matter problem that uh, quite frankly I'm amazed that uh, in the in the greatest country in the world um, that we're still dealing with racism all of these years that we can't get past you know what we try to teach our officers which is you know deal with the situation at hand the facts that you have at hand not the person not their color not their religion not their race all of those things I'm just Still kind of shocked that, you know, I wasn't raised That way, and that we're still dealing with The vi- the very, the very um, issue Of of racism in this country, and I think
0: Is it, do you think, you know, it, is, is it because The racism is real, that there Are real sure. cops out there that are gunning down black Men for sport on the police departments I, I don't, or- I don't, I don't <laughs> Because that's the way it's framed, right? It's framed that the, the cops are bad, right? They, they complain about people labeling and stereotyping people based on color, and then they label and stereotype all the cops based on the actions of there four are, guys in to, Mani- to Minneapolis. Your, yeah,
1: to your point, there are good and bad in every profession. We know that good teachers, bad teachers, good cops, bad cops, bad lawyers. It's up to us to identify those individuals when we find out that that's um, happening. Hopefully, we get that in the recruiting process. Hopefully, we get that in the, um, you know, in the background checks before we hire them. Hopefully, we get that in the academy. Or if there's an incident that comes up, hopefully we can remove them very quickly and uh, get rid of them. But there's good and bad in every profession, and it's not just um, in law enforcement. But certainly law enforcement has its issues as well. And to the chief's points, you know, we don't have a problem dealing with that. As a matter of fact, and Joe could talk about this more than anyone because he's been around the longest, we've been asking for help in getting rid of bad employees. We're constantly disciplining and trying to fire individuals only to have the process send them right back to us, reduce their suspension, reduce their terminations. And now we're left with them to try to figure out what do we do with this individual, only to have them do it again. Mm -hmm. So we've been asking for this for a long, long time. And it took all of these issues in the nation to finally bring it together where they're now forcing it on us, it looks like. When in reality, I'll speak for the chiefs, we wanted help. We've been asking for help. We've been asking for legislation to to change things and give us uh, some tools to try to get rid of people because we don't want to be we don't want to be cast that way as bad police officers. Not all police officers are bad. Ninety nine point nine percent of the cops are doing the right thing day in and day out. They're professional. They care about the community. They're from the community. I mm-hmm. speak for our community. Our cops are from the community. We're fifty 53 percent minority majority police department now. So. They're from there. They care about the community. They're not going out to try to abuse authority, but we're painted in that brush. We don't want to be unfairly painted in that brush, just like anyone else in the world doesn't want to be painted in that brush. We have to ask to be judged based on our own individual efforts, and you know, one interaction with a community member at a time is what we're looking for, and I think that's not a lot is, to ask.
0: Is part of the problem the fact that you all have a boss to answer to. You guys don't have authority to hire and fire and to discipline um, uh, without going through a political process, without going through the mayor of Lawrence, the mayor of Methuen, and the board of selectmen in North Andover. Um, is that part of the problem where you're in charge of a department that you can't control? I say this to the Methuen counselors all the time that com- complain about Joe. He did this, he did that. Well, that's not even, he's not responsible for that. That's the mayor does that. The uh, is that part of the problem, that if you've got a guy, like I remember the Bill Green situation, you know, he you you tried to get rid of a cop that you thought was bad, and I think twice they put him back on, and then eventually he did something that you were able to fire him for.
1: Um, I, I mean, I won't speak to any specific case, but in general, I think it's good for the public to know that, and Joe can speak to this, and, and uh, Chief Gray as well, that our authority as being chiefs we're able to discipline someone up to five days suspension. Beyond that, it goes to the appointing authority, which for us, it's the mayor. Uh, I can tell you in my experience that the mayor has always backed me up in terms of whether it's a lengthy suspension for someone or to terminate someone, mm-hmm. but the process goes beyond the mayors. The process goes beyond the town managers and the civil service department. It goes to civil service. The unions are very powerful. The unions get involved, and before you know it, that suspension or termination is reduced to something else, and now we're, we're back to square one with this individual officer trying to babysit them again. Right. So it puts us in a bad light. We would love to remove bad police officers. We don't want to be painted with that same brush. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're, we're in a situation that we're, we're dealing with um, the legislation and the laws and, and the way they happen. So um, that's what we've been dealing Have with. Have you fired anybody for racism?
0: No. not Has anybody here fired anybody for racism? No. So, I mean, when we're looking at least at the local level, it doesn't really seem to be the problem. That CNN and the news media make it out to be Where there's all these rogue cops out there Gunning down black men for sport On every police department in the country And that there's lack of training And that there's you know lack of oversight And there's lack of
1: supervision um, well, to, to Joe's point, uh, he, he said this very well, is that here in the Northeast and here in the Merrimack Valley, we'll speak specifically to us, to us, and Chief Greg can jump in on this. He knows. He's very involved in training. We feel like we're ahead of the curve. We know what's out there. We're not the South. We're not the Midwest where some of these things have happened. The Northeast traditionally, along with the West, has has been a leader in uh, technology and, and policy and procedure and training and things like that. We spend a lot of money on training, um, and giving our offices the, the latest equipment and technology and training, all of those things, to be the best that they can be. So we think that we're ahead of the curve, but again, something happens somewhere else. Everybody wants to take a look at the entire picture. We would just look, wish that they would just look internally here and not overreact to the situation. I don't know if, Chuck, you want to yeah, chime in on I'll, the I'll training. Jump in on it.
2: Um, the training, I feel, is top notch. And I think, what was it, like three or four years ago, we started actually training together. Right. Um, active shooter drills. Um, we have in-service at the Methuen Academy where Lawrence, North Andover, and and Methuen offices along with other offices from other departments actually get in a classroom and train together. We've done procedural justice. uh, Two blocks of that we've done um, dealing with the mentally ill. We've done dealing with uh, de-escalation training. And all this training we've given the officers in a classroom setting so they're not just going online and looking at something. They're actually having dialogue with each other hey, I had this situation happen, I know that person, you know, okay, how'd you handle this? Okay, watch out for this person, you know, be careful, don't talk to them this way, talk to them this way, because you get a bad reaction. And by having that in-classroom dialogue, our officers between the three departments, I think are, are getting such unbelievable training above and beyond what is required. Right. And then any, you know, I've, I've spoken to some legislatures over the last couple of days and showed them firsthand the last five years, we've been doing this all along. And so when they're talking about de-escalation training, that was last year. We've mm-hmm. already done that. They're talking about, you know, dealing with the mental illness. That was two years ago. We've already done that. Right. Procedural justice and bias-based training. Okay. All of us have policies in place right. and it's been done. Right. You know, so, so it's, it's almost like if someone just, and again, maybe it's because we don't market ourselves enough. And that's one of the things my manager actually mentioned, and I, I kind of, I, I really agree with her. That's why I like having you guys here. It's, it's to, to market ourselves and let the public know we're doing this stuff already, and we're doing between the three departments here and the ones along with us are doing a great job. I think,
0: Chief Gray, um, the the uh, legislature, the Senate passed a anti cop measure uh, this week. Thank God, our two senators, Senator Tar and Senator Desaglio, voted present on that. They didn't vote yes, at least. Um, I looked through some of the uh, legislation that was passed. It's frightening that they're going to allow your officers to go out there and not have immunity if, God forbid, they have to shoot
2: somebody on on duty. What do you guys think about that? Have you looked through any of the legislation that's coming up? Yep. And again, I was reminded by another state rep that you know things have to go the the you know they have to go the route. And what starts out here could end up down here. What starts out here could end up up here. <laughs> It, it's. We have to watch it. We can't just jump to conclusions and as cops say, oh, my God, oh, my God, we can't be having this. Well, again, we have to see. The, the game's being played as far as, like, how it, strategy's being done. Let's see what's going on. I, my only thing that I, that I was questioning is just make sure it's not because of what we've done around here because, like Chief Vasset and Chief Solomon, we consider ourselves pretty much above the curve. So as long as we know that we're not, you know, having the, bullse- the bullseye on us for something we've done. Because if we did do something, we want to know about it so we can take care of it. Chief um, Solomon from Methuen, do all lives matter?
3: We believe in the sanctity of life, of everybody. And I understand that that question was going to come up, and I knew you wouldn't like my answer. But uh, sometimes we put messages out and they're misconstrued. Sometimes we don't do a good job at... Actually talking about what we're talking about and the release. I put out was more about a movement rather than individual person So we truly believe in the sanctity of every person's life. We train that way and I think if you look at the discipline that's come out of our city, you don't see I see all of us You don't see excessive force uh, complaints by the most part and if there is any they're investigated immediately So my statement to that would be, we believe in everybody has the sanctity of life, and we train that way so that we can provide the services needed. And interestingly, when uh, Chief Gray was just talking about the training part, probably five or six years ago, we saw an issue, and this might help shed some light in a different manner. We saw an issue with a significant amount of calls of individuals, children, adults, that were on the um, spectrum disorder, so they were on they had spectrum disorder, and they were in different levels in the order. So we went, received some training, myself and Lieutenant Ayala. We then formulated the training, and then we trained the whole police department on dealing with individuals on the spectrum disorder. We were invited to a conference, a national school safety conference, where we were actually presented on that. And those are the things we do extra here in, I believe, in the Northeast. We saw a problem. We understood that sometimes when you get a call, the call isn't what you believe. And several years prior to this, we had a child who was very big, so he looked like an adult, at Mosden's Corner, that major intersection at Pleasant, Pleasant Valley, Howe, and Jackson. And the call was for a man with an Uzi. I was actually around the corner and responded to the scene. And we did what we cops did at the time— we give commands. He's not listening, so we get a louder command. Then we give a louder command, and he's not listening to us. And at the end of the Uzi, the orange tip was missing. Now, no one knows it's fake. Right. Till a police officer arrived who had experience in that and knew the kid and told us what was going on, which caused us to talk lower, calm down. Luckily, thank God, knock um, on your glass table, there was no shooting there because that could have been a legitimate situation when officers use deadly force Mm -hmm. and it didn't occur to that and it leads to reform so we realize oh we have to address that so yes we believe in everyone's sanctity of their life and that was the reason why there was no initial shooting at that point however it would have been justified we always talk about use of force uh you know that sometimes it's lawful but it's awful Mm-hmm. And, you know, although that sounds corny It's true, whenever you see a use of force Whether it's an armbar, a taser, or a takedown It looks like sometimes the officers Are using force more than what's necessary But when you break those segments down You find out it isn't And that's why I like that we carry body cameras Because then we can go back And it's not The officer's word against the person's view And again, th- these the two chiefs will tell you You can interview eight people right here who all watch the same situation and get eight Eight different stories yeah or sometimes 10 because they hear it and they change so let's look at the video and analyze the video for exactly what happened and what it was was that actually a remote control or a cell phone that came up and everyone thought it was a weapon and the person pointed and unfortunately a shooting occurred rolling into that i think the benefit we have is we have our own academy in the Merrimack Valley that allows, in fact, both chiefs sit on the advisory board along with the chief from Amesbury and the chief from Haverhill. So we get some input. In our academy, we do extra weeks. We do a mental health first aid to prevent officers from committing suicide, but also a stress reduction where they learn how to deal with these types of situations that help do the diffusion. What I do like about the bill that you mentioned is post, police officer stands in training. How long have we have been talking about this? 34 years I've been a cop, we've been talking about, can you believe we don't license cops? Go to New Hampshire, commit a violation, they revoke your license, you're done in the United States to be a police officer because you've been decertified. So there is some good things in the bill, I just think they, they need to listen to us more, they need to listen to the police more, and they need to listen to what's... What should be in there and what shouldn't be in there Uh, Qualified immunity I just listened to a video outside today Of um, a professor speaking about Qualified immunity that said When an officer, if you take the qualified Immunity away, when we commit A criminal act and get sued That the city doesn't have to pay Well we know this, if we commit a criminal act Right now with qualified immunity, guess what? Qualified immunity doesn't count you still get sued and you still lose qualified immunity says it's the reasonable stand man standard if a reasonable police officer in that same position would have done the exact same acts you acted within the scope of your job qualified immunity attaches what's very interesting is take away qualified immunity and I do something totally legitimate but I get sued and lose guess who pays you do No, the city. The without, city pays without, you, without qualified immunity. Yeah, because once you reduce part of that qualified immunity, is the, if it was when you get sued, some complaints, some of it can be assessed to you, some can be assessed to the city. Most of the cases fall on the city. But qualified immunity isn't being removed from us, it's being removed from all government. From the
0: municipalities. So,
3: so a city engineer looks at this road design for a bridge. He certifies it's perfect. The contractor puts in a defective beam. That would say outside of the scope Qualified immunity wouldn't have attached For the company but would attach for the city Because they made based upon their inspections In the plan now that means that Money falls on the city I don't think the public Realizes you're opening the floodgates Because qualified immunity comes in The judge says, nope, that cop acted outside the scope of his job or committed a criminal offense, no qualified immunity, case moves forward. Then during the motions and during the arguments, the city says, sorry, you're on your own, and they put up the argument that this person acted outside the scope of their authority or committed an offense, we're out of it, and in most cases you'll see the judges drop them out, and then the officers on that case by themselves. This is going to put us in that quandary where the city or the municipality or the state is going to eat more of that responsibility. So there needs to be some refining there. But we all agree, we've been talking about this for years, we want post. Because when the interesting part is now when that officer, say, has his discipline, it goes to post. So say the city says, all right, we're going to fire him, and they get – Returned by another agency Arbitration of civil service Post says you're decertified so although you've returned You don't want to a cop see you later you're done The only problem with post is they made A modification to put it uh, Into a instead of a post Certification they're putting it into a committee hands, Which would mean the way It's currently read and again it's still going to Go to the house and it'll go to a conference committee And then the governor it's saying an outside Entity has to right now investigate all Complaints so you say I ran Into Solomon Solomon was rude And ignorant That complaint's now Going to go to Post Post is for the Very serious violations Once we've cleared Our professional Standards investigation Found you responsible Of something Then it goes to Post Who conducts an analysis And says you know what This is so far Out of the scope Of what that cop Should have done decertified. We We've seen And I've seen Officers here That have left employment To only go become a police officer in another community, whether it's inside of Massachusetts or outside of Massachusetts. So hopefully, you know, the house of representatives is going to look at this bill, make some more, more modifications. We're very lucky to have chief Brian Kais as the head of, um, the, uh, the um, Oh my god the, the legislative committee for Massachusetts And he's also an attorney And he's the chief in Chelsea, very intelligent man He'll be involved in those conversations for us And hopefully we get back to post Because we want post But again, we live in a union community So we have to abide by those laws
0: um, One of the things that frightened me When the Minneapolis riot started And then it started to uh, bleed All over the country Is watching police officers Who are trained who have raised their right hand Who have sworn to protect the public Obey orders To stand down while people are being hurt To obey The orders of mayors Across the country Who said Don't intervene if someone's getting hurt And we watched it, we watched police officers stand there While innocent people were being Beaten and some killed Because they were ordered To stand down And I, my, my I grew up in a police family, so I always was under the belief that police officers were legally allowed to, to not uh, comply with an illegal order. And an illegal order to me would be telling people not, telling cops not to intervene while someone's getting hurt. This frightens me, because it, it's all over the country. It's not here yet, it's not in the Merrimack Valley yet, but it sure as hell is in Cambridge, and it sure as hell is in Boston. And I want you guys to, um, I asked uh, Chief DeNaro, when he was here, I'm going to ask all of you guys, um, if you were ordered in a situation like that to stand down and people in your community were getting hurt, would you follow that order or would you betray that order, for lack of a better word? Anybody? Chief Vasque?
1: I'm not sure where, where that happened or who was standing down to, to that. I mean, we have a duty to protect and to serve. I, I would think that we'd have to carry that out. I don't know how a mayor or a city council or a town manager could tell you as a law enforcement official uh, not to act in accordance with the law. If it's a law, the law is being broken, then you are mandated to you know, act on that law, especially in the preservation of, of human life. So I don't see that being a problem here. I'm not sure the circumstances surrounding what happened somewhere else, but I don't, I don't see that being a problem here
0: chief gray let's say that there's a black lives matter or maybe some other group um is protesting in Methuen and it gets violent and uh the town manager or the board of selectmen tell you stand down don't don't um don't engage with them it's only going to make things worse do you follow that order or do you
2: say no the losses I've got to get. do you agree with chief vask i agree 100% with chief vask and, and uh, what it comes down to is that we don't have the facts on what happened when those officers were allegedly told to stand down. We don't know what happened. Anytime anything bad happens, like a school shooting or something, I always wait for the official report to come out. I don't listen to the press. I don't listen to the media. I don't listen to the hearsay. And until we find out what really happened there, to me, it didn't happen. Right. And please. Well, I'll we know,
0: we we know in New York
2: because De Blasio has admitted that he has told his 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 officers to stand down in, in a lot of different situations, and now we see cops in in, in New York being ambushed. And again, I. I go. I hear what I what I hear, but I'm not. I'm going to repeat what Chief Vass said: is is we're sworn to uphold the law, and if someone's getting beat up, not only am I going to intervene, I'll go myself and intervene, because that's what we do. Chief,
3: I agree with both of them. And um, let's say Chief, interestingly- let's,
0: let's say Mayor Perry comes in and says, "You know what? I have found religion now, and now I'm now I'm a, now I'm a pacifist, and uh, there's a, there's a, a, a riot going on." Chief, we don't want you to engage with any of those people, and and you're st- your guys are standing there, and, and, and innocent people are being they're car- they dragged out of their cars and beaten up. Do you do you defy that order?
3: First, I don't think Mayor Perry would ever give no, that. I don't order, think so either, right? Because we've even with all the dealings we've had, he leaves the decision of department heads to the department heads. Right. He wants us to make our own decisions. But here's where we're yes, no, I will would not comply with an order like that, and we do that at the risk of. What the ramifications to ours So that's okay, we'll do what we do, you take the action Against us, but we have a little bit of difference In the law At least in Massachusetts, because we're autonomous So the law gives A police chief and the fire chief the autonomy Over their personnel Their equipment, and their manpower So yes, you can give me the order, but I'm not Required to follow your order now, I might lose my job. Right, uh, I've been there. So again, we we do what we have to do, and we deal with the ramifications afterwards. We would not comply with an order that said allow an innocent individual or even someone committing a crime to be hurt. We're not going to do that again. The sanctity of human life, the service and protection, which I think, kind of in law enforcement, if you look in the community policing era, ninety-five to two thousand five. When you said protect and serve, it was a bad thing. People are like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. we don't want to talk about protect and serve. We want to talk about community engagement. But it's the same thing because at the core, what we do is is what good is outreach if we're not keeping you safe? So maybe it's just a different way of saying it. No, we wouldn't comply with the order. We would do what needed to do to keep everybody safe. And sometimes that means we call each other. We, we do this routinely. We call each other and say, hey, we got something unfolding I need some advice and can you get over here right now and help me we've all done that regardless of what happened and go back to the gas explosion chiefs came from everywhere to help Chief Ask made a call Chief Gray made a call and Chief Keith made a call and people not only do the people come but the chiefs come and they say you go do this You go do this we don't ask well I'm not taking orders from you we're there to help each other I truly believe you have Synergy in the Merrimack Valley. We always talk about, like, we're one police department in the Merrimack Valley. We think alike. By the way, someone who's in Lawrence or North Andover or Andover or Methuen, where do you think they are all day? They're in all our communities, including right. Havel. Havel, interestingly, was almost like that old island. Chief De Niro made the change. You look at chiefs prior to that during my tenure, they, when you got to the line on 110, you didn't go with the Havel. <laughs> right. Now we, we have that comfortableness, and I think it's about us meeting and working together, training together, that we're all one. And quite frankly for me, I'm in the triangle, the Lawrence-Lowell-Havel triangle, so I get a lot of activity in my community. And we did something in mid-90s, so it was between 95 and 99. I used that time frame because that's when I was assigned to the community policing division, where Lawrence Police Officer and Lowell police officers came to Methuen Because we had identified our Residents were traveling back and forth A Lowell cruiser, and a Lawrence cruiser In Methuen with Methuen cops and those cops In it patrolling, then we went to Lawrence But we drove in the Methuen and Lowell cruisers In Lawrence, then we went to Lowell And we drove in the Lawrence cruisers and Methuen cruisers You'd see someone say, hey, I know who you are And they'd be like, ah, oh, the anonymity's gone But that's that's part of the cohesion You have to have in law enforcement And quite frankly, from the traveling I've done And the training I've done uh, nationally and internationally, I don't think you see that in other parts of the country. I think not only is it a Massachusetts thing, but I think the Merrimack Valley, I mean, we're brothers and sisters and we see each other, we call each other. You probably can't find a couple of weeks go by that we don't have multiple text or phone calls back and forth with each other, just throwing things back and forth. And that brings me back to the academy again. We sit on a board together, we get to interact, we get to hire the director. We get to go see our own recruits and have some input. We know right away: is there a problem with that recruit? Where you send your recruit to an academy, once a month you get a report. Now we're not getting a report; we are the report. We're there. Our people are there: the North End of officers, the Lawrence officers, the Methuen officers, the Havel officers, the Amesbury officers. Actually, at the academy training, giving feedback to their departments. So we're getting feedback from day one till graduation day. So. Right up to that point, you don't even have a job. You, like all of us, you come to my department, you go through 14 weeks of failed training, and then we make a decision as to whether or not we're going to maintain you. Some people say, wow, you spent all that salary, you spent all that training, you're out $60,000, 60, $65,000. Well, guess what? That's better than out 32 years of a right. bad employee.
0: Right. Um, Chief Vasquez, uh, have you seen, especially with Lawrence being a, a little bit higher on the on the crime scale in the, of the three communities Not anymore uh, No, it's now, it's Methuen now, is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's only at city council meetings um, Have you seen, because of the change, because the media is, is still so anti-cop And they're stoking the violence all over the country, especially CNN, MSNBC uh, have you seen a change in the way your officers are being received in the community? Are you seeing more assaults and more and more resistance to your officers when they're making arrests? You know, FUU, pig, um, Black Lives Matter. You're only picking on me because I'm, I'm I'm black or I'm Latino. Do you see? Is it bleeding into your community? Because it seems like all the stuff going on in the rest of the country is it really here. But I I have to I have to imagine that the attitude is here.
1: Uh, a little bit, but I think it always has. You're always going to get your your nitwits out there that are going to make those kind of comments. We've heard those uh, catchphrase names, uh, you know, funny names for cops for for a million years since we've been kids. So you're always going to get a little bit of those. I'll say I'll speak for Lawrence, and I'm sure these guys will will say the same. Our community has been great. In terms of um, this whole situation, when the protests were happening, I know we we heard from a lot of the residents and business owners who were concerned about Lawrence. We don't want that stuff to happen here, meaning the violence and uh, the looting and burning and things things of that nature. So, just like you know, Chief Solomon said about the gas crisis, the community really came together. We heard right out the gate when we had the um, the gas crisis that in South Lawrence is all in darkness. Oh my God, we're going to have looting, stabbing, shootings, murders, right? Right. Lawrence is Lawrence, da 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 da, all of that. But uh, that was the exact opposite effect. Why do you uh, think that is? I know you're in mid-thought, but yeah. it, uh, I couldn't believe
0: when they said they were going to have one in Lawrence, I couldn't believe that was going to go off without any violence because it, it was it was going on every single night. We were turning on CNN every night. We were watching Minneapolis burn. We were watching L.A. We were watching St. Louis. And while all that's happening in that environment nationally, they scheduled one in Lawrence and you didn't have those problems. Why do, you, why do you think that was? Was it your preparation? Was it your contact with these people? Or, or, or was it just
1: something else? So certainly those two things. And we were prepared because we saw the same things you were seeing on TV, the things that were going on there. So you have to prepare the community expects you to prepare. So you prepare for the worst and you you go from there. But certainly our response to the protest was very scaled back, laid back. Um, let them do um, have their their time and we're just gonna be on the outskirts if they need us or if someone else needs us and we're gonna go in that manner and, if, and we'll change our philosophy based on on what happens. But I think I'd like to say, i like to think that that has something to do with it, our interaction with the groups prior to and then I would like to hope that all the goodwill we've built up in the community over all these months and years um, and dropping the crime numbers and going to community meetings and, you know, going out to the community, to all these youth organizations and partnering with them, with them at the high school and doing all these birthday parades that we do and uh, the ice cream truck and, you know, open gyms. And I would like to hope that we fostered a lot of goodwill in, in our community in that Our community was behind us. And again, we heard from a lot of people, business owners and residents that said, we don't want that here. That's not Lawrence. What's going on out there is not going on here. And, uh, you know, we don't want it and we're not going to put up with it. So a lot of people got involved behind the scenes to kind of um, go after that sort of rhetoric that was out there on social media where people were just trying to stir things up. And that's why I go back to my original statement about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, that I don't have a problem with it. And and I think a lot of... uh, a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes that's attributed to that organization, but I don't think it's them. I think it's a lot of people want to take advantage of situations, and that's what they try to do. When you have a gas crisis, people want to take advantage. They want to loot. You know, when there's a protest, people want to go there just for the looting. It's not about the issue. So I don't blame the movement itself or, or anyone having a, a say in uh, in their grievances. So. But I do think that there's a lot of that that goes on behind the scenes. People want to capitalize on chaos. People don't want to capitalize on something else to suit their agenda. So um, for us, I'd like to think that we did a lot of homework, if you will, in our work in the community. And I would like to think that 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 carried us a long way. And I'm sure these guys can speak to that as well.
0: Black Lives Matter, though, is not some benign group. I mean, on their website, they call for the defunding of police. Um, They've marched through the streets of America crying, Mm -hmm. kill the police. Uh, pigs in a bacon, pigs in a blanket. Fry them like bacon. Um, the only good cop is a dead cop. Um, they're calling for, and it is happening across the country in certain areas. Ca- uh, police departments being defunded or having their funding cut. Um, are you worried that's going to come here?
1: No, I, I don't, because again, our community is behind us. I don't think some of these problems that have gone on in the in the South and in the Midwest are not going on here in Massachusetts in the Northeast. Again, I think we're doing our homework. We're ahead of the curve. We're in training and recruitment and and policies and procedures and our relationships with our communities. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, I can tell you that – some of the things that I've seen, I've been outraged at. And I think we all came out very strongly with what we saw in, in Minneapolis. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I, I cannot even believe what I'm seeing. Forget about being a police chief or being a human being. that, And forget that the individual, George Floyd, was an African-American male. If I saw anybody treating someone like that, I would have been outraged and disgusted. I, I can't even believe that a police officer would do something like that. I just have to go back to the fact that they don't, they don't recruit, train, or hire as well as we do. And they don't take care of their community as well as we do. I hope that we're doing things better here. Um, but certainly that's not us.
0: If there was a supervisor on the scene at the Minneapolis
1: situation, do you think that would have happened? I hope not. There was other officers there. And for whatever reason, they decided to act the way they did. But I would hope not. And if he, if he was there, if they were there and they didn't respond accordingly, they should be fired. Absolutely. No, no, no ways about it. I mean, they should have a duty to intervene. And the fact that we have to put a policy in there, forget about the fact that it's common sense, for God's sake, to to see something like that going on to a human and you don't interact, you know, get yourself involved in something like that and see that going sideways is beyond me. Forget about being a police officer. Uh, I just don't, I don't even understand it at all.
0: Chief Gray, you're an expert on training. Um, since I've met you, I think every conversation we've ever had, you've at least at one point brought up training. Uh, you seem like a training guy. Yeah. Um, there's a, I, I want to talk about this. We've got uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes left, and we can go over, right, Ben? Um, a lot of people are under the misimpression because they don't have cops in their family and they don't experience policing. that uh, they, they have all these ideas in their head that are just wrong. Um, That you can't shoot an unarmed assailant That you can't shoot somebody in the back Can you talk about some of those things Because whenever I hear CNN or MSNBC And they have their their panels And they say, well, the cops shot him in the back As if that automatically makes it a bad shoot Well, When we all know that that's Those of us involved in law enforcement know that That just because someone's unarmed doesn't mean that they're not putting someone's life in, in jeopardy, and sometimes you have to shoot. Can you talk about some of those some of those instances? I even had Paul Morano, my former co, say to me one
2: day, "Well, why can't they just shoot them in the leg?" Can you address some of those as a training guy? Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do the best I can because I'm I'm not a use of force expert, but I I do try to stay up on it. Um, the the standard we use is the the reasonable standard, and it's Graham versus Connor, and it's basically what uh, the chief said as far as what would a reasonable officer do in that situation? And it goes on. it's called a force continuum. And what it is is basically you go from having a, a conversation and being interactive to passive-resistant, active-resistant, volatile, and eventually to the top, which is deadly force. So it's a dynamic thing, and that's what people don't understand. is it, you can, it can be very volatile, and then all of a sudden the person can say, okay, I give up, and put their hands up, and then it becomes right, right. down there. Yeah. So uh, what people, I think, need to realize is that we do extensive training on use of force, whether it's through firearms training biannually or whether it's just in roll call, um, we just like we do the pursuit policy because those are the high risk, low frequency events that when they go bad, they go real bad. And from a training point of view, every day should be a training day for us because the more training you have, the more uh, of a, it, first of all, boost the office confidence. Secondly, it, it really educates everyone on what, how do we, how do we play this game right now as far as what can we do what can't we do? And, Finally, you know, it's it's something that you have policies and procedures like Chief Vass set in place, all right? They're current, they're reasonable, they're clear, they're by by the standards set forth by the Mass Accreditation Council if they fall under that guideline. And if you train on these policies and procedures, those high-risk, low-frequency events that when they go bad cause real tragedy, if you will, those are the ones you prepare for. So by training, you're giving the officers more tools, not tools on their belt per se, but tools in their head to say, how can I handle this? Do I, do I need to pull my firearm out, or can I try to talk to this person, and de-escalate this? Because right now, no one's in danger. So again, it, it's, it's a dynamic situation, up and down, but that's basically what we try to educate. But, it's, but shooting
0: someone who's unarmed does not, is not automatically a bad shoot, right? Can you just explain that a little bit? Because I think a lot of people who don't know law enforcement... They say, oh, well, he shot the guy like the guy with the taser, right? Mm -hmm. He was running, and he was shooting the taser from behind while he was running, and the cop shot him while he was running away. And automatically, it was they shot him in the back as if that makes it a bad shoot. And I'm trying to educate people at home that, you know, just because someone was shot in the back doesn't necessarily make it a bad shoot. Uh, You can't shoot somebody in the leg. What is the standard for shooting someone?
2: So the standard of using a firearm is deadly force. And that is when that person is going to commit Either kill or violently injure somebody, you know that, that it's about to take place. It's imminent. Right. imminent, imminent, bodily harm. And so, if you're going to use your firearm, it could be you know, is is the person you know holding a machete? Okay, are they are they ready to push someone off a subway platform into it in front of a train? Again, we don't know for sure. It's subjectivity versus objectivity. I can't just sit here and give a blanket statement because all kinds of facts come into play. Right. But again, you know what happened? I think that was Atlanta, where the person shot the taser. Mm-hmm. We've seen a couple videos, and we've formed an opinion based on what we've saw. We haven't seen any reports yet. We haven't seen any coverage of audio um, body body cameras. We haven't seen any witnesses. So. Again, to, to make a statement that he shot the taser it was deadly force, no, you, we need to get the totality of the circumstance. Right, right. Every situation
1: is different. And that's really, you know, you have TV involved, too, which doesn't help us when everybody sees a case solved in 20 minutes on TV. Mm-hmm. And people may, you know, an officer, you know, wing somebody, mm-hmm. uh, shooting someone in the leg. First of all, good luck trying to hit somebody in the leg when most cops can't hit somebody in center mass. Uh, so that doesn't happen in warning shots and things like th- things that we've heard. Think about that for a minute, a warning shot. Where do you think that warning shot's going? Right. You're going to shoot that. That thing's coming down at some point, <laughs> right. right? So you got to be realistic, you know, what in, I'm in some of the things that go on. And every case is different. So to Chief Gray's point, you can't just say, can you shoot someone in the back? Yes or no? You can't because you can't answer that because every case is different. Every case has a little bit different piece of evidence that, you need in order to make that decision. And an officer is making that split-second decision. So um, I think that's what people have to understand, too. It's a split-second decision based on what was going on. And because we see one video, we don't necessarily know all the facts. So to try to say yes or no, that was good, without the totality of the circumstances can you, is difficult. Can you
0: talk about some of the circumstances that would allow a police officer to shoot an unarmed person? Because a lot of what we hear with the Black Lives Matter movement is X number of people were killed by police
1: and they were unarmed, as if that automatically makes it a bad shoot. Well, again, so just off the top of my head, um, you know, we don't know all the circumstances, so... Did the officer think he was armed at the time? Did he have a cell phone that he took out? You know, you hear things like that. Again, it's a split-second decision that an officer's making in the dark, if you will. Again, I'm throwing facts in there because I don't know all the facts. Right. So without knowing each case and knowing each individual fact, it's difficult to say yes or no, that you can't, you can't. But if you want me to throw out a scenario, you know, I can start making things up to, to that point. Like, again, it's in the dark. There's a struggle. He's trying to kill him. I mean, I, I have no idea. He right. pulls out something that he believes is a weapon that's going to be used against. Them there's a number of different factors that We just don't know in each individual case to try To say blanketly yes or No so it's difficult and I think uh, Again going back to you know TV and things like that a lot of things People see on TV think it's you know It's reality and it kind of kind of It plays uh, against us if you will Chief Solomon um, from Methuen Um,
0: so I guess what I'm Hearing from the other chiefs and hopefully people at Home are hearing from the other chiefs is That it just because someone is unarmed and the shot by an officer does not make it a bad shoot automatically. Uh, just because somebody is shot in the back does not necessarily make it um, a bad shoot. When you're training your officers and these is- these types of issues come up, is there some kind of a standard? Because the public seems to think that there is. Is there some kind of a standard as to um, shooting a- shooting someone or using deadly force on duty?
3: Well, there is, and it's all based on the training and the scenarios. Again, the nuances control that. So is the person doing something that is going to cause somebody to lose their life, cause the officer to lose their life, or have they already taken someone's life or caused such serious injury that the person could die? So those are the different levels and the different steps. You have to actually meet them, but every nuance is different. Just like, uh, as the chief asked, gave you a scenario, so someone starts choking me and I start to pass out, is he armed? Right. No, but he's he's employing deadly force. I pull my weapon and I shoot him. I just shot an unarmed individual because I was about, in my mind, to pass out and then he's going to take my gun and kill me or kill someone else. So there's a multitude of different situations. But something also that the public should be aware of, we train a lot in firearms, but Do we realize and does the public realize that in national statistics from the FBI, in an active shooter situation, now meaning someone shooting at you or someone has a weapon and you're going to engage them, cops hit 20% of the time is their hit ratio. So if you're going to hit someone 20% of the time because you're dodging, you're moving, they're moving… We can't be trying to shoot arms, legs, or hands. Right. I saw a great movie the other day in the in one of the police shows and the guy was up like this and he was holding the gun to his girlfriend and it was NCIS and um, the NCIS agent with a rifle on top of a building fired around, shot him in the hand, the gun fell out and they they took that. him into custody. <laughs> right. That ain't going to happen. In right. fact, if that shot's being taken, it's being taken by a trained sniper and it's not in and the he, hand. And he's, a, right, he's aiming him for the in head. The head. Right. Because at this point, the person's About to deploy deadly force, and the only way to stop it is a headshot. Mm -hmm. And so every single situation is different. But what we do train is we train to not, hopefully, not get into that situation. The goal is to short circuit prior to get to getting there. And Chief Gray said something very important that I don't think people realize: just because force is going up doesn't mean it's leading to deadly force. It can be going up and maybe it comes back down. So it's a it's a living. Situation; it's changing second by second. But I heard so many times, people: "Why didn't you shoot him in the leg? Why can't they shoot him in the hand? Why right. did they do that?" I wish we could. Deadly force could be somebody using a, a car. Now they are unarmed in people's minds, but they're driving a two or three thousand pound weapon. So it all depends on on each individual situation.
0: How difficult is it to educate the public? I brought those two topics up because I I think. You know, the stuff that I see on Facebook is just, it just blows my mind. People are so uneducated about what policing is. And how difficult is it when you're out in the community and people are are, are making these judgments that are based on nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, God help us, some of them get elected to a city council and they start trying to legislate what they think they know when they absolutely know nothing. I know you dealt with it last night. Um, how frustrating is that? I'm sure it happens in all three communities.
3: So, because I just dealt with this last night, let me say this. On something <laughs> outside of weapons. We, ch- we send every police officer to EVOC over five years. So uh, emergency vehicle operations. So we want them to learn. You go to the academy, you get 40 hours of EVOC. Do you know in my department how many times you drive again after that in EVOC? When you get in an accident, the chief says, whoa, that's your second accident. Send him to EVOC, and you get a day's training. So maybe eight or nine years ago, working with the state police, I said, I'd like to split my department in. So every five years, everybody, I don't care if you've been here 30 years and been through it six times, you're going to go to EVOC again. One day of like a retraining, a recertification EVOC is a lot about mental and breathing control. You have to control what you're seeing and what you're doing. So, what do we do all day for eight hours a day? We drive a car, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, unless they're on a walking beat. We train two or three times a year on a firearm. And luckily, most officers go through the whole career with never shooting anyone. But we're driving a very seriously heavy duty vehicle every single day on patrol. And if it's in a emergency call or a pursuit, we're driving that. And I had somebody challenge me on that and said, well, just because no one else is doing, does anyone else do it? I said, in my studies, I don't know anyone else that does unless it's disciplinary. And that person said, well, then I don't think it's necessary. And why are we doing something someone else isn't doing? You know, let's
0: cut that out of the budget. So
3: here's my opinion. Because we're leading, we have vision Why did we have body cameras before Just about everyone in Massachusetts every We're the first ma- major city To have them, there was two small towns In Western Mass that had like a couple of cops And they bought a camera We're the first department in Massachusetts to have tasers Why? Because you know what happens When you hit them with a stick? We break things, right? right. So we did some studies, we said Well, an electronic control weapon is although it hurts doesn't have permanent damage in most cases so we had to go to the secretary of public safety and attorney generals how many years ago that was because no one had them and the law prevented them and we wrote a policy in conjunction with people that know a lot more than i do and that became for years and it might still be the model electronic control policy for the commonwealth of massachusetts because we have vision because we see what's happening in the world and in the country because we we are students of law enforcement, does that mean we shouldn't be doing something just because everyone else isn't doing it? You know what I say? Everyone else should be doing what we're doing. Don't make me do less because other people aren't. What we should be saying as legislators and leaders, I want my police, when I look at this police department, I want to say they're doing more than the next department because then you know what the next department does? They do that. Right. Then they say, oh, well, that's just standard now. We should be above standard. Let's go do something else. Not for the fact of doing it, but for the fact of making people safer. So that's my argument
0: on that. Does it frustrate you guys that the Massachusetts is such a liberal state and that the legislature and even the governor in some areas um, doesn't back the cops? Is that frustrating for you guys? You're out there putting your lives on the line. Even as chiefs, I see you guys I've seen all three of you guys at scenes. Everybody thinks the chief sits behind a desk and he just and he just uh, uh, you know deploys guys and answers the phone and does paperwork. But I've seen all three of you guys at major scenes in the Merrimack Valley, and it's got to be fr- it's got to be frustrating for you. It's got to be.
1: I don't feel that, Tom. I'll be honest with you. I think that um, for the most part, we we get some the tools that we need, the training, the money. Um, I've got nothing but ultimate respect for the governor. I, I, I say that not because he's a governor, but because I saw him in action for. Columbia Gas 1 and 2, and then uh, through COVID. And uh, I've I've been around him a lot for, you know, his different uh, meetings and I've been privy to being in the room with him and his leadership at meetings. Um, So I I don't feel that in terms of the legislature. Overall, that might be the opinion of some. I'm certainly not happy about the quick reaction to some of this, um, the bill now, and, and to the chief's point that I hope that it gets scaled down a bit, and I think it will when people uh spend a little time talking about it, and that's my hope for the for the Senate bill that, that was just passed.
0: Aren't they going but, in the wrong direction? Shouldn't they be doing the exact opposite of what they of what they filed? Shouldn't they be giving you guys more funding for more training uh for more officers? And
1: that's a good that's a good point when they talk about defunding the police, but then you turn around and say we want you to do X, Y, and Z training. Or well, right. how are we gonna do that? So right. No, I get that. Again, I think that's a quick overreaction to what national, something that happened in a national uh, uh, scene. And again, that's why we try to bring that acumen home. It's not happening here, especially in the Northeast. We're doing X, Y, and Z. You know, one of the good things that did come out of this when people started asking, well, can we see your policy on use of force? Do you have X, Y, and Z? Yeah, we have that. Right. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. Uh, next right. question. Uh, what about uh, de-escalation? When are you going to start doing that and to the chief's point? No, we've been doing that for years. Oh really? oh geez. um, let me ask you another question. um, what about this? Do you have a no choke? Yeah, we've never done that. We have that, and you can't oh okay, uh, move on right so but I think they're expecting us to be just like everybody else in the in the midwest and in, in the in the South as examples. I use them only because they've had they've had issues, and um there's been some some stuff going on there, but then they come to find out that we're we're doing things differently. We don't have all the answers, but I think we adapt well, and I think we're ahead of the curve. I think we're doing to the Chiefs' point. We're always trying to one up each other, and I mean that by when someone comes up with a, with a good idea or sees a trend. And Joe's been doing it for a long time. We capitalize on that knowledge. We try to bring it to the next level. We try to think outside the box, forward thinking. And I think we've done that. So I think um, I, I think we're in a good place. And I would just hope that they would look at our picture, you know, locally versus nationally.
0: Uh, Before I go to uh, Chief Gray, um, you've been very innovative with putting cameras up all over Lawrence Mm -hmm. um, To the point where Mm -hmm. civil libertarians like me get very nervous about that kind of stuff you have been watching you Um, I know you are Um, In fact, I actually wave at the cameras now when I go through intersections Because I know who's watching the cameras Um, But Chief Solomon's been very innovative as far as getting the body cameras Mm -hmm. Is that something Lawrence is looking at doing? I think that really... I mean, it, it can hurt in some situations, but I think overall, the good outweighs the bad.
1: So and to your point, we've been trying to get those. 2018 now, two years, here we go. Um, I actually filed for a grant and was awarded a grant by the government uh, for body cameras. So um, as Chief Solomon will attest, you know, you have to get it through the unions. You have to develop policy and procedure. We actually got uh, Joe's policy on on body cameras. So we are trying to implement that, even if it has to be on a pilot program. The difficulty for us, again, and we talk about post and all these other things, trying to get these things passed that we wanted, is getting it by the union. So we have to deal with that whole issue. We did not have, for for five years, a collective bargaining agreement in place. So in order to bring another bargaining issue in place, we couldn't do it without their consent. They didn't want to even talk about the issue because they had all these other issues that they wanted to address in their contract thankfully we now have a contract in place for seven years so we have two more two-year buffer to try to get something done and we're hopeful now that after the contract gets allocated to the city council we're expecting it too that we can now bring this issue to the table and hopefully at least at at a pilot program we can bring the body cameras to fruition in lawrence but to your point again forward thinking years and years ago now it's almost two years now since we applied for that grant and we're awarded it so we are trying to to be ahead of the curve, and I you know, wish we had them because it would have been another one of those. Do you have them? Oh, yep, absolutely we do. At least we can say, you know, we have, we've tried to get them and we did uh, receive a grant for it. So I'm happy about that. Chief Gray, um, I live in North Andover. I think you do a
0: great job. Um, I'm on Main Street. I look out my window Second at any <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I look out my window on any given day and I see a police cruiser sitting on Main Street or driving down Main Street. We feel very safe. Um are you looking to go the way of Methuen and Lawrence? Uh, I know you're a town, and it's a very different situation as far as putting up uh, cameras. I remember calling you one day and saying, "Hey, I, I think there's a camera over there on 125 by China, China Blossom." I not I, I, I'm a civil libertarian. I don't want the police watching me. This was long before Lawrence put their cameras up, and I think at the time you said, "No, no, no, that's just like a, a, a sensor so a that sensor. the lights yep. so that the lights can go." But now here we are, five years later, and other communities are actually putting cameras up and. And I don't want to say spying on their on their citizens, but certainly watching their citizens. Is that a direction Northanda was looking to so go?
1: Before, before the chief can answer that, your you're. you're. Just Let me just dispel a few things And we don't spy on anyone um, The cameras aren't watched live actually They're up in dispatch so if something happened And we had a very serious purse snatching In the city where um, it was Called in right away and someone was able to see that Real time and give the officers good information That actually led to the arrest and recovery of the purse And thankfully the elderly um, woman Wasn't wasn't seriously injured But for the most part those are reactive sort of Go back and investigative tools that We find, about, find out about a crime Then the detectives go back and, and the patrol officer for that matter. Could go back and look at that and get some, glean some information that mm-hmm. will help them in their case. But we're not actively watching them. It'd be difficult to watch 200 cameras at, at any given time. But they've been a, they've been a great been a great tool. But there's no active you know spying, if you will. And they're all in central locations, intersections, things like that. Not really you know pointed at residences and things like that. I was just you know joking.
0: I didn't mean to necessarily put a yeah. negative connotation on that. I just I, I know <laughs> there's negative there's positive and negative in everything sure. we do. Uh, and as a civil libertarian, I kind of always lean always toward maybe not doing stuff like that, but Chief uh, Tom, can I interrupt for a sure. second? I'm sorry,
3: because we were at two, I thought we'd be done at three. I booked myself, so I'm getting texted. Dare messages. you? I got to run out. Well, you
0: shouldn't have been late. Uh, oh, well, that was been these been two late. guys. Yeah, well, so
3: I, I got to head out. Sorry.
0: Why go. don't you give us before you leave? Why don't you give us uh, your final thoughts on uh, all this Black Lives Matter stuff? What's going on across the country and how you're dealing with it locally?
3: Sure. So we're hoping, my my personal opinion, is that everything calms down a little bit, that we're going to continue, as Chief asked said, having that engagement with the public. Because the truth is, the trust you build and the goodwill you build is what makes us able to do what we do without having violent outbursts. So uh, our doors are open to our community. We're going to continue. Continue to talk with them, and uh, we're going to continue to build trust and trust and trust, and um, hopefully that uh, we won't have another incident or we won't have an incident. I'm sorry, like that. And we're here to really um, serve those people that uh, we work for, which is the public. All right, thank thank you you for having us. Sorry, guys, I got to run. No worries. Thank
0: you. All right, thank you. You blame these guys for
2: being late. Um, Actually, no, it was his fault because he put Zoom on the email. We're not blaming Uh, anybody. uh, all (laughs) All right. So I'll just the uh, the, the legislature stuff. Um, I've had nothing but support from the Board of Selectmen all the way up Thank through you. the state reps. And uh, in fact, one of them, um, I grew up with her and she married one of my best friends. And she came to my office and we had a conversation and she actually enlightened me on some of the issues that are at stake here that I didn't even know about. So it was, it was a great back and forth. Um, and I agree with Chief Ask in that matter. As far as the cameras go, we do have cameras in North Andover, but they're in the places that you wouldn't expect. Um, the high school, the middle school, the airport. Um, do we need to expand them again? Show me a problem, and I'll you know we'll talk about it. But again, like you said, on Main Street, there's police officers up and down there all day. Right. And not only that, but there's a lot of businesses out there on Main Street that have cameras. So when we've had crimes in the area, we actually go to the businesses and say, "Hey, did you get that on the footage?" Sure enough, yeah, we went to you know so and so, and they had the the person driving up the street right after they hit somebody. Right. Okay. So a, a lot of the cameras are out there, anyways. And ask any police officer now, whenever something is happening. Nine times out of 10, there's someone standing there like this, right? and we're being recorded anyways. So everyone's used to being recorded. Everyone behaves as if, you know, I was talking to a sergeant today, and he said, I'm, I always act as if I'm being recorded. And that's the mindset you have to have, though. You you can't be doing things thinking you're going to get away with it. It's not happening anymore. Um, as, as far as, you know, considering it, I mean, uh, Chief Ferrullo used to be the Woburn chief, and uh, he's now head of the uh, interim director of the Mass Training Council. And he made a great statement, I'm going to steal uh, I'll give him credit for it, though. He said, "You know, show me the problem. Why do I need body cameras? What problem am I looking for? I'm looking for rudeness. Instead of spending three million dollars on body cameras to fix rudeness, I'd rather spend th- three million dollars on the problem right. and work on training and getting these officers better educated and and you know, if it's a if it's a use of force issue, I'd rather spend three million dollars on, on correcting that use of force issue through training and remediation and even you know termination if it's becoming that. So I kind of have that feeling and thought process about um, technology because the biggest elephant in the room is who can get the body camera footage what what part of its public record how long do you have to keep it for what happens if you lose some of it right so it, it's it's a huge conundrum and on our end and I've talked to the IT as far as um, where are we going with this like yeah. wh- what's our what's our game plan as far as storage what's our game plan as far as implementation uh, I think right now we're, we're gonna take a step back and just keep doing what we're doing like the chief said building that trust rebuilding the trust and, and doing our job and, and making our community happy
0: um, <coughs> we're we're up against time. Some final thoughts on what's going on across the country, the uh, the ambushes on police officers, how difficult that makes your job going forward. Just
1: some final thoughts for people. So certainly we don't want to see something like that happen, and obviously it's disgusting. Just like the George Floyd incident was disgusting. Any sort of you know attacks unprovoked on police officers, disgusting. You know two wrongs don't make a right, and all of that sort of thing. So. <laughs> We don't want to see anything like that happen here or there, for that matter. Um, again, we go back to my original statement about movements and, and, and things of that nature. We have no problem with people wanting to have a conversation. We would really hope that we're part of the conversation. And really, I think we can get somewhere if we're part of the conversation. Um, let's tone down the yelling and screaming and let's have an actual conversation in a room or multiple conversations, which I've been having, you know, on Zoom meetings and things like that with different groups. I would hope that we can continue doing that. Use this as a, as an opportunity to engage the community, engage groups that um, want to ask questions. And I can tell you more times than not, they walk away with, wow, I didn't know that. You know, some of the examples that I gave you earlier and things of that nature. So... I would hope that they would realize that we don't want to see that happen either. We don't want our officers to behave that way. We don't believe in that. Um, When we saw that, it was disgusting, and that that we would hope that we're on the same team, you know, making our our respective communities better. And again, our hope is that we're part of the conversation. Our hope is that we can continue bonding with our community and make it better.
0: Chief Gray, final words on all this Black Lives Matter stuff, how difficult it's making policing and Putting you guys under the gun? Nobody hates
2: a bad cop more than a good cop. And bad actors that have done things that they shouldn't have done, I, I don't like the fact that good officers are being ambushed and targeted. But again, it comes down to the marketing. We have to market ourselves to the public and let them know what we're doing. A better, you know, We have to do a better job to, to let them know that, yeah, just like Chief Vass said, let's have a conversation. Let's let you know firsthand what's happening. And then if you have something you can educate me on, by all means, let me know. So I can say, hmm. You know what? I didn't think of it that way. I should put myself in that position, have some empathy, and say, "Okay, I get that." So it's 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 two way conversation, two way street, and we need to, you know, be better every day. Thank you, Chief Chief
0: Va- Chief Roy Vask from Lawrence, Chief. Charles Gray from North Andover and Chief uh, Joe Solomon from Methuen, who just left uh, because we did start a little late. I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Um, I don't know if we're going to do another like year end thing to talk about opioids, but if you guys are willing to do that again in December, I'm I'm happy to have you back. Sure. Um, I I have tremendous respect for all three of you. I don't always agree with all three of you. Um, In fact, there are times when I I bang my head up against a desk when I see some of the decisions that you make. Um, But I think that just just goes to to how good of Police chiefs, you are that people can disagree with you and not be calling for your heads. Um, I'm always, I'm always, um, I'm always frightened when someone says they agree with me 100. percent Like after a show, I'll get email, hate mail, and one person will say I agree with 100 percent of everything you said. And then well, then there's something wrong with you because you can't agree with anybody 100. True. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, McLennan Real Estate. Uh, if you want to buy a a house or sell a house, give Matt. Uh, McLennan, Sam, Janet, anybody over there A call, uh, we love McLennan Real Estate in uh, in Methuen They also help us with our TMF family dinner for the Homeless, which I know the chief loves that organization I know you guys are always behind us and I Appreciate that I'm only half sarcastic about that Because he actually does support Helping coronavirus and the homeless in other ways um, AFC Urgent Care, we love Lisa Williams We are going to have her back on Maybe in the end of August To talk about how everything with COVID-19 has changed It is changing, it's changing significantly The testing is changing The type of testing, the longevity of testing So we will have her back And uh, EIS Investigations and Training uh, We appreciate uh, them coming on board And sponsoring the show I know I'm going to get some, uh, some heat in with the for that But uh, I'm never going to turn down a check I don't care who's writing it So uh, anybody that wants to sponsor this program It's $50 a week We'd love to have you on board We'll put your uh, logo and stuff on the front uh, Of the of the news desk And we'll talk about you throughout the show um, Thank you so much guys for, for being here um, I, I hope all of you guys will stay safe I hope all of your men and women uh, That serve under you stay safe And we'd love to have you back thank Thanks for you. having us right, Roll that up uh, Melvin Taylor Next week we've got uh, What do we have next week? I think we got... Do we have Nick DiZaglio next week? Let me take a look. Melvin Taylor says we got to go home, but you got to hold on for one more second. Let's see. Uh, Next week, we've got... uh, Joe Silverio from Four Star Lighting will be here, and we're going to try and get somebody else on. Following week, we're going to have Nick Desaglio from the Methuen City Council, and who would have ever thought Nick Desaglio would turn out to be the voice of reason on the Methuen City Council? Boy, during those debates, it, it, never in a million years would I have, have guessed that, but he certainly has turned out to uh, to be doing a good job, and we're going to have him here on the 30th, and then and then in August, uh, our August 7th show, we're going to have Neil Perry back. It's, I'm glad to see that he's feeling a little bit better. Um, and I know that uh, it's going to be a long road to recovery, but he's—we're uh, we're happy that he's going to be okay. Melvin Taylor says we got to go home, so go home already. Thank you, Ben Kitchen, our fine producer, and Dave Graffalo for uh, putting up with our baloney here for the last three or four years. Telling you to go home.
3: Telling you to go.